Have you ever had a moment like this where you uh, reconnect with an old friend, maybe a former roommate, former coworker, former classmate, and you realize there's something between us. Things just aren't right. Like there's something standing in the way of our friendship, our relationship. Ever have something like that? A couple years ago, uh, my former roommate from seminary, Eric Mason, and I were speaking at the same conference. And after we had a little break, we went to lunch together. And as we finished our lunch, we we're walking back to the car to go back to the conference. And he said, hey, let's take a selfie. And so he got his camera out. We took a selfie and there we are. And I realized then uh, during our lunch and then that there's still something like a little uh, a rift between us. I couldn't really put my finger on it. And all of a sudden I remembered something. When we were roommates in seminary, uh, he went home for Christmas one year. He's from Washington, D.C. and we were in Dallas. So he went home to Washington, D.C. for Christmas, and I stayed uh, in Dallas. I didn't have enough money to go back home to California. And so then, uh, as we left, he showed me this gift he'd gotten from his aunt, I believe. It was a cheese log. And so he said, hey, check out what my aunt sent me. This is a cheese log. And so I checked out this cheese log, and I'd never seen one before, never had one before, and I love cheese and I love nuts, but I thought they shouldn't go together. And he also included with that was this package of crackers that came with it. And so he said, hey, if you want to try some while I'm gone, you're welcome to have some of my cheese log. And I said, great. So I went to work the next day and came back, and I saw the cheese log in the refrigerator. I saw the crackers on the counter. Didn't do anything about it. The next day I went to work, went to uh, study for a while, came back. And as I was preparing dinner, I said, you know what, let me try that cheese log. So I got a knife out, and I cut a really, really thin slice of the cheese log, uh, cheese log and put it on a cracker, ate it, and I thought, ooh, this is pretty good. And so for the next 14 days, I'd go to work or go to church or go study for a while, and I'd cut a really thin slice of it off, put it on a cracker, and then eat it. Well, then uh, I picked up Eric from the airport, and I brought him back home, and he opened the refrigerator, and the first thing he says is, what happened to my cheese log? And I realized that I'd taken a small little slip of a, a slice of it every day for 14 days, and by the time he got back, there's only about a fourth of it left. And so he said, my aunt sent me that for me, bro, like not for you. And so I, I think, Tara, for Christmas this year, I'm going to send him a cheese log just to say, hey, here's a cheese log that I ate. And as I was realizing that little bit of cheese log I ate every day had this big effect, God began to speak to me and said, the same thing is true when we make small compromises with sin and temptation. When we make small compromises with sin and temptation thinking, oh, this really won't hurt. They won't really miss this it ends up in a big result. When we have, rather than full obedience to God, when we demonstrate partial obedience and we compromise with sin, there's gonna be a big outcome that happens. And so today, from 1 Samuel 15, if you have your Bibles, we're gonna look at what God says about what I call partial obedience or compromising with obedience and sin, and then what we can do to respond so that we can get right with God. So if you have your Bibles, we're in 1 Samuel 15, and we looked at last week the start of kings and prophets. So the king we're looking at today is King Saul. The prophet we're looking at is the same prophet as last week. Samuel the prophet. And we're in 1 Samuel 15. And by this point, if you remember from last week, the Israelites have asked for a king. They've gotten a king. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, there was a coronation in which Samuel warned Saul and the Israelites saying, if you obey God, you're gonna be blessed. Both the king and the people obey God, you'll be blessed. If you disobey God, What's going to happen is you will not receive the blessings of God. There will be a consequence. And because God loves us and has a purpose and plan for us, God warns them and he warns us. 
So what we find in 1 Samuel 15 is Samuel uh, giving an instruction to Saul and to us. Verse 15, uh, verse, uh, chapter 15, verse one. Then Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words. And you can underline that word, word. Some translations say voice. It's that Hebrew word, call again, kol, Q-O-L. Listen to the voice of the Lord. It's a command as well. Listen to the voice of the Lord. This is what the Lord of armies says. I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel and that he obstructed him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and completely destroy everything. You can underline that. Completely destroy. This is from the Lord. And he said that he has, and just everything he has, and do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So the instruction, the voice of the Lord given to Saul is destroy everything, the people and all their property. That's the voice of the Lord. That's the command of the Lord. Look what happens in verse nine, though. Let me mention this too. The Amalekites, the people of Amalek are like uh, nomads. They don't have a land or a place where they live. They're roaming nomads. They'd be like com comparable like pirates today who just go and pillage other people. If you're a Star Wars fan, they'd be like the Tusken Raiders who really don't have land and they go pillage other people. That's the Amalekites. And when the Israelites were leaving Egypt and coming into the promised land, the Kenites welcomed them and helped them, but the Amalekites obstructed them and stopped them. Because of that, and we'll find out later, they were an excessively wicked people. God says, go and wipe them all out. Verse nine, and this is what the buts I don't like. But Saul and the people spared Agag, who was their king, and the best of the sheep and the ox and the more valuable animals and lambs and everything that was good and were unwilling, you can underline the word, unwilling to destroy them completely. Even they were told, completely destroy them. In verse three, they were unwilling to destroy them completely, but everything despicable and weak, they uh, completely destroyed. So they go out and they find these marauding raiders, the Amalekites, and they overthrow them, they kill them, and wipe out everybody, but they spare the king and they spare the choicest animals, the weak and sickly animals, the things that were leftovers, they were quickly, uh, they were there to kill, but they didn't obey the Lord fully because they left the king alive, Agag alive, and left the choicest animals alive. The reason why King Agag was kept alive is because he became a trophy for King Saul. In those days when kings would conquer other people, what they would do is they would parade around the opposing king and say, look how powerful I am. Look how mighty I am. So it's almost like he was campaigning, stumping for the people to say, look how amazing King Saul is. Now notice this in verse uh, 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was furious and cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel got up early in the morning to meet Saul and it was reported to Samuel saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and then turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. So now this is God's response. God tells him, wipe out everybody, wipe out all their property. We see partial obedience. And now in verse 11, we see this kind of tension. God regrets that he had made Saul king. And so it makes it sound like God made a mistake in making him king. Some translations even say the word repent. God repented. He changed his mind. That word regret there doesn't mean God changed his mind like he made a mistake. This is what it means. God says he doesn't feel regret because he makes mistakes, because God never makes mistakes. Rather, he feels regret for what he has done or allowed in view of the foreknown consequences. 
So in the Old Testament in chapter eight that we looked at last week, when he, the people said, make, give us a king, give us a king, like all the other nations, God says, all right, I'll give you a king, but I'm gonna warn you, these are all the consequences that are gonna happen. And still they said, give us a king. So God allowed them to have a king even though he knew what the outcome was gonna be, that Saul was gonna disobey, that the people would suffer. He knew all these things and yet he gave them a king and that's what he regretted is the outcome even though he knew what was gonna happen or what he allowed. So God doesn't make mistakes. Look at verse 13. So Samuel came to Saul and said to him, blessed are you of the Lord, I've carried out the command of the Lord. So in Saul's mind, he did everything God told him to do. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of the sheep? That word bleeding is that Hebrew word voice again. I hear the voice of the sheep in my ears and the bellowing of the oxen. That word bellowing is that same word voice. He says, you heard God's voice. He told you what to do. You listened to your own voice and the voice of the people and disobeyed God. And then you say, well, no, I obeyed God. Then he says, why do I now hear the voice of these sheep and cattle? It's clear that you've disobeyed God. He says uh, in verse 15, Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice the Lord your God, but the rest we have completely destroyed. Then Samuel said, verse 16 to Saul, stop and let me inform you of what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak. This is what he does. Rather than saying, you're right, I didn't obey God completely. He says, uh, blame shifting. Uh, it was the people. It was the people. The people spared the best animals. And uh, we have a, a purpose. We're going to sacrifice them to the Lord because the Lord has been so good to us. And so he makes excuses and he blame shifts rather than saying what he did was wrong. Verse 20 and 21 says this. He says, then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord. He was confronted again. For I went on the mission on which the Lord sent me, and I brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and completely destroyed the Amalekites. Verse 21, again, blame shifting. But the people took some of the spoils, sheep and oxen, the choice of the things designated for destruction to sacrifice the Lord your God at Gilgal. And again, what Samuel says over and over again, we'll see in this little section is this. Point number one, that partial obedience is disobedience. That partial obedience is disobedience. That partial obedience is disobedience. God said, clearly, this is what I want you to do. And in Saul's mind, he says, I did everything God wanted me to do. And then when he's confronted with the truth of what God said, he blamed the people, he blamed others, even though he was a king. And then he said, oh, but we're gonna sacrifice to the God. We're gonna do something for God with it. He made excuses for it. Partial obedience is still disobedience. Um... Great tragedy in Miami, in Surfside, Florida, that condominium that collapsed. When I saw the news of that and I began praying for the people that they would be found, it reminded me of another instance in Miami just two years ago. Uh, in March 2016, Florida International University in Miami, where the residents live, the students live, student housing and the campus were separated by a very busy highway called A Street. They had many accidents. And so what they decided to do in 2016 was build a pedestrian bridge to cross between campus housing to the campus itself. And in March of 2018, uh, this was it, March 2018, probably late February, early March, the engineers went to inspect this pedestrian bridge that would connect the students, the housing, and the campus. There's 12 trusses on that bridge. Of the 12 trusses, they found that four of the trusses had cracks in them. Four of them had cracks in them. So here's a question. If you were an engineer, 
How many of those trusses would you want fixed before you open the bridge up? For those who aren't engineers, let's put it this way. If you're a student, a grad student, an undergrad student at Florida International University, how many of those trusses would you want fixed of the four before you walked across that bridge? All of them. If you were a car parked at that stoplight and you're parked underneath the bridge, how many of those trusses would you want fixed of those four before you parked underneath that bridge? All of them. Of course, all of them. And so that's a picture of when uh, in, in James, God says it this way. You may not have broken all 10 commandments, but if you break one of them, you've broken all of them. So he talks about this complete obedience. And if we're honest with ourselves, all of us tend to not fully obey God. Our flesh will say, what is the minimum I need to do to get by? If you don't believe me, I came up with this list of examples of partial obedience what does partial obedience look like? You may not out and out gossip, but you sure know how to disguise gossip as a prayer request or as a concern. You just have to get off your chest. That's partial obedience. You may avoid sexual sin, but you sure have no issue with sensual sin, even though the Bible says in Romans 13, 13, to avoid sexual immorality and sensuality. That's partial obedience. I'm looking this way because... The pulpit's turned this way. I'm not looking at y'all over here. Let me look over here. Okay. You may not lie, but you don't tell the whole truth or shade the truth in your favor. That's partial obedience. You may avoid physical affairs, but you have no problem with affairs of the heart or mind. That's partial obedience. You may have never killed anyone, but you wish in your mind someone were dead. You ever dream of an ex being dead? You ever dream of a coworker being dead? That's partial obedience. You may avoid clapping back, but you have no problem talking behind people's back. That's partial obedience. You may submit and do everything your employer or your boss asks, but if you do it with a bad attitude and rebellion on the inside, that's partial obedience. You give, but not sacrificially, generously, or regularly. That's partial obedience. You love, but only when it doesn't require sacrifice or for you to swallow your pride. That's partial obedience. You share your faith regularly, but mostly with other Christians so as not to get rejected. What's the use of saving the saved? That's partial obedience. You love your kids and spend time with them saying, I'm focused on you, but you've got one eye on your boss's email and one eye on them. That's partial obedience. You appear meek and humble on the outside, but inwardly you proudly think you are smarter than, better looking than, or more gifted than others. That's partial obedience. You post, tweet, share about racial diversity, and love for everyone, but your close circle of friends is almost totally homogenous. That's partial obedience. You can quote James 1, and you know God uses hard times and conflict to help you grow and mature, but you avoid and even run from hard times and conflict. That's partial obedience. You know from Psalm 115, verse 3, that God is in control, but you quit, get mad, or walk away when things don't go your way or out of your control. That too, my friends, is partial obedience. And if you wonder where I got that list from, I didn't have to look far. I just had to look in the mirror because I looked at my own heart and my own lives and realized that, you know what, on the outside, I may be obeying God, but inwardly, partial obedience. And if we're honest with ourselves, all of us fall into that trap as well. So again, partial obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. And my question to you is, whose voice are you listening to? Are you listening to the voice of God? And here's a challenge for you all. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, before you pick up that phone, 
to see what social media and the voice there says, to see what the news says and what the voice there says, the voice of your boss, the voice of your coworkers. What does God say? I want to hear the voice of God the first thing when I wake up. I want to hear what God has to say to me. So open your Bible and say, God, would you now speak to me? I want to hear your voice and pray, Lord, I want to obey you completely. My flesh says just do enough to get by, but I want to obey you completely from the heart outward. I want to obey you. So partial obedience is disobedience. And here's the tragedy. Look at verse 22. Samuel said, does the Lord have as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Because to obey is better than sacrifice and to pay attention is better than the fat of rams. So Saul says, you know what? We were going to keep the animals uh, to sacrifice them. And and Samuel says, on behalf of God, uh, time out on that. He says, to obey is better than sacrifice. God would rather have the obedience of your heart than you to slay all these animals and sacrifice. And then notice in verse 23, for rebellion is as reprehensible as a sin of divination. Why is that? Some translations say witchcraft. Divination is uh, telling the future. He says, by you listening to your own voice or the voice of others and taking matters in your own hands rather than obeying God, what you're doing is you're saying, I can control my future and I'm going to disobey because I can control my future because I don't trust God with my future. And so he says, you're worse than a fortune teller, someone in divination, because you think you can control your future. Matter of fact, he says this, an insubordination or rebellion is as reprehensible as false religion and idolatry. He says, you might as well bow down to some idol and worship a statue because that's what you're doing. You have made yourself the God or king of your life. You have sat on the own throne of your life saying, I know what God says. I know what God's voice says, but you know what? I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to listen to my own voice or the voice of others. Man, it's quiet in here. Man, if 9 a.m. was quiet this morning, I was like, are y'all listening? Are y'all hearing? I know last week some people were like shouting a little bit, like it's quiet in here. So he says, that's the standard of God. Now look at the consequences. End of verse 23. Since you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Um, so here's point number two and disobedience has consequences. Partial obedience is disobedience and disobedience has consequences, especially after multiple warnings and chances. So in first Samuel 12, Samuel at the coronation of King Saul says to the people and to King Saul, if you obey God, you're going to be blessed. If you disobey God, you're not going to receive blessings. You're going to receive the consequences. He warns him. He warns Saul and the people. What happens, and this seems like it's just three chapters, over and over again, we see Saul disobeying God, even though he's clearly heard the voice of God. When it was time for him to wait for Samuel to come to do his priestly duties, what does Saul do? He takes matters in his own hands. What happens? Samuel says, because you've disobeyed God, your son will not succeed you on the throne. Your reign will end with you. It's going to end with you. There's a consequence to that. So this isn't just something that happened over three chapters and all of a sudden you're like, man, God is mean. Like he told him one thing, he disobeyed once and now he's gonna take the kingdom from him. So now he is stripped of his crown as well. And for those of you who think, again, three chapters, this has happened over decades. Saul became king at age 30. He was deposed, his rule ended at age 72. So 42 years, so instrument 30 and 40 years, he was a ruler. So this wasn't something that just happened like on one whim that God says, all right, I've had enough. 
He had chance after warning after chance, and yet he did not listen and he did not obey. I'm sorry, he listened, but he did not obey because he listened to the voice of the people. And here's the thing, not just losing the rule that he had, not just what's gonna happen to the people and what had happened to the people. Perhaps the greatest consequence of our disobedience, partial obedience, is not the loss of a job, a marriage, a family, or friendship, or a ministry. Those things are bad. Perhaps the greatest loss is the loss of intimacy with God. A loss of him. Perhaps that's the greatest consequence that he had. He says, because again, he had a change of heart. I would say Saul was in New Testament terms, born again. He was saved. And now he's lost that relationship. So disobedience has consequences, especially after multiple warnings and chances. That bridge that connected the student housing to the campus at Florida International University that crossed the very busy A Street where there had been multiple accidents, after they had found four of the trusses out of the 12 had cracks in them in late February, early March, they began to repair one of the trusses But tragically, on March 15th of 2018, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, as a red stoplight had cars stopped there at the intersection, the bridge collapsed because they would not deal with the four cracks in those trusses. There were motors underneath the bridge at the time because it was a stoplight. Ten motors were injured, five others killed. There's a construction worker on top of the bridge who was killed as well. So because of a lack of complete fixing or obedience, this is what happens. And I've seen that many, many times in the lives of so many believers. When we see incomplete obedience, not only do they lose a relationship with God, but they may lose a marriage, lose a family, lose their inheritance, lose even a future. So the consequences is a fear. So the question is this then. Okay, Icky, like, what do we do then? What do we do? Verse 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. For I have violated the command of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and listened to, there's that word again, voice. I listened to the voice of people. Now then, please pardon my sin and return with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Then Samuel turned to go, but Saul grasped the edge of his robe and tore it off. So Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and he has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. Verse 29, also the glory of Israel will not uh, lie nor change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. That word there again is that word uh, uh, regret. So this is what happens. After King Saul, finally, Samuel says, because of your partial obedience, which is disobedience, you will no longer be king. Just two chapters ago, you lost the fact that your son would become king in your place. Now you've lost it all. You were warned. You were given fair warning because God loves you and cares for you. And yet you've rejected the word of the Lord. So finally says, all right, okay, I confess it. I messed up. I repent. I repent. I messed up. But it's even a weak one here because he says that word violated in verse 24 really is like overlooked. It's not the strongest word to transgress. He says, yeah, you know, I kind of messed up. That's my bad. And he says, hey, can I still like go with you and all that stuff? Can I maybe still be king? And then he says, now when it comes to the forgiveness, the guilt of sin, Samuel says, hey, you're forgiven. But God has already said and decreed that you will no longer be king. So here's the thing I mentioned last week. 
When we repent and confess our sin to God because we are in Jesus Christ, we'll be forgiven for the guilt of sin. What separates us from God will be removed. We'll always be removed from that. But that removal of the guilt of sin does not always mean the removal of the consequences of sin. And that's what he says here. You'll no longer be king. And King Saul says, oh, my bad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I messed up. Can I be king still? And he says, God's made up his mind already. You're not going to change his mind. And notice this picture. It's this illustration. He's the original illustrator. And Samuel turned to go, verse 27, grasped the edge of his robe and tore it off. So Samuel's walking off, departing from him like the Lord's departed from Saul. And in those days, you had a robe. If you remember the woman with the issue of blood who grabbed the hem of Jesus' garment. So on the edge of your garment, you would have like tassels or other things that would signify your wealth or your position or your rank or your nobility. And so what most likely happened was Samuel had like tassels or something attached that said he was a prophet and a judge. And what he does is he grasps for it, rips it off, and that tassel or the edge of the robe symbolize authority. And what Samuel does is, ding, illustration. He says, just like you've torn the authority of my robe off from me, God has torn the authority away from you as well. You want an object lesson, son? There it is. He says, God has taken it from you. So what's the application? Verse, or point number three. So quickly repent of and confess your disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. Disobedience has consequences, especially after you've been warned because God loves you and cares for you and has a plan. So quickly repent of and confess your disobedience. And here's the reason why I believe Saul was so slow. is because something Saul has wrestled with all his life and the very thing that you and I wrestle with as well. King Saul wrestled with insecurity. He wrestled with insecurity. And all of us in this room who name the name of Jesus, no matter how successful, how godly, until we get to eternity and we're in glory and we see Jesus face to face, and finally we are secure in everything, we will always wrestle with security. We will always wrestle with being insecure, even though God loves us, amen? amen? Romans 8 says there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. So you can find security in the fact that a God who doesn't need anybody loves you. He loves you unconditionally. And you know this. He says, in Jesus, you've been forgiven for all your sins. In Colossians 3, all your sins have been forgiven. You can know that. You can have security in that. You can know that God loves you. God has forgiven you. God cares for you. You can know all these things and find security in that. And that's what Saul should have found comfort in. Man, God loves me. God cares for me. God accepts me. God forgives me. And because of those things, I don't need to be insecure. I can confess my mess and my sin to God. And the same is true for us. And we see it over and over again in the life of Saul. And it's so easy to see in other people. When you read the Bible, say, man, Saul for a king is so insecure. But here's the thing about insecurity. Insecurity is a lot like pride. It's easy to see in others, but so hard to see in ourselves. The reason why so many of us are people pleasers is insecurity. There's so many, or the reason why so many of us get defensive when people ask us questions about stuff at work or stuff in your ministry is because we're insecure. The reason why we try to appear like we got our lives all together and everything's working out great, our marriage is great, family's great, work is great, and we try to keep this appearance up to impress people is because of insecurity. And the reason why we blame shift rather than saying, yep, my bad, I messed up. No, it was they, the people, the people kept the animals. The people did this. The people, they did it. 
The reason why we blame shift is insecurity. So again, like pride, insecurity is so easy to see in others, but so hard to see in ourselves. And the reason why Saul was so slow to confess and so slow to acknowledge, yep, I messed up, my bad. And even when he said, I overlooked this thing, is because he battled insecurity. To all the young adults in here who are single, I want to give you this challenge, warning. So what Saul was saying was, I want more of God. And he lost that intimacy because of his partial obedience. You can't say, I want more of God. I want to have a radical focus on Jesus, but I don't want Jesus to be radically focused on me. I want less of him. All right, I want him to have less of me. So here's, here's like the challenge. If you meet a guy, the guy of your dreams, ladies, if you meet a young lady, a woman of your dreams, fellas, and you are in a dating relationship with them and they say to you, ooh, like I'm so in love with you. I, I just want more of you. I want to spend more time with you. I want to get to know you more better. I just want more of you. And you're like, oh, right? Oh, that's awesome. I, yes, yes, right? I want more of you. But then they say, um, but also I want to let you know I'm still dating some other girls. I'm still dating some other guys. I, I hope you don't mind. Right? You're like, you want to know me more and more of me and more of our relationship, but you still want to like play the field? But that's what Saul's doing here. Saul says, I hear the voice of God and I want more of God. And we do the same thing. We read the Bible, we read the scriptures and say, man, I want more of God. I want to have a radical focus on Jesus. But every day, y'all, from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, you have all these competing voices chirp in your head. Whether it's on social media, on television, in music, in movies, in your coworkers, in just the world around us, you're gonna have these voices. And so my encouragement to you is this. Again, is if you want more of God, find your security, your love, and all that in him. That's what you wanna do. Because again, Pride and insecurity, they're kissing cousins. So easy to see in others, but so hard to see in ourselves. And here's a prayer you can pray, is this, because you can see pride and insecurity in others. Oh, they're so arrogant. Ooh, they're so cocky. Right. Is Lord, show me me. As you read the scriptures, as the word of God is a mirror, you can pray this, Lord, show me me. As you hear a sermon and you're sitting there going, Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, that, when Pastor Ricky said uh, social media, racial justice, and unity and stuff, they were talking about that person sitting to my right. Oh, yeah, when they were talking about affairs in the mind and the heart, yeah, they were talking about this person sitting behind me, right? Rather than saying that, say, Lord, show me me. Show me where I fall short. Show me areas of my life where I have partial obedience. Show me where I'm insecure and proud. Show me me. So here's the big idea for today. Partial obedience requires complete repentance. Partial obedience requires complete repentance. So when you say, God, show me me, and God shows you you, and you're like, I done messed up. I heard the voice of God. Partial obedience. Yes, I obeyed like 90% of it. Yes, I obeyed 30% of it. Yes, I obeyed part of it, but there's some parts that I did not obey. Maybe my motives weren't right. And so you say, God, show me me, and now I confess it to you. It requires complete repentance to turn from those things and say, God, I now want to fully be devoted to you, fully obey you, fully worship you, and focus on you. Um, is there anyone else in this room, as I wrap up, who's afraid of heights? Anybody in this room afraid of heights like me? 
Oh, I thought you said, Mama, that's you. Like, <laughs> so um, when I moved to Houston, I was going to a Young Life fundraising event, and I took the wrong way in Sam Houston Tollway, and I went over the Sam Houston Ship Channel Bridge. Have you been over that before? You can put that up. And I remember going over that for the very first time, and whenever I go over a bridge that's really high off the ground, I make sure, because my fear of heights, not to look to the left or the right. I just kind of keep my eyes forward. Now, if you notice this, the Ship Channel Bridge is currently under construction. They're trying to widen it to have multiple lanes. You all know that? But if you notice here, they've stopped construction recently. I think it was like three months ago, they stopped construction on the bridge. Do you know why? Do you know why, anybody? No, not lack of workers. Actually, they stopped back in 2018, in March of 2018, if that rings a bell. Because the people who designed and built the Florida International University Bridge, the pedestrian bridge, were the same people who have designed and are building this bridge. So after that happened, this is what they did. The people in Harris County, the people said, you know what? Let's make sure, all right, that there are no errors or any kind of uh, uh, fractures or fissures in our bridge. So they suspended construction and they went through all the plans again to make sure there were no errors there that they needed to fix, not partially, not some of them, but all of them before they completed this bridge. And what they found as they looked through the plans is they found some errors. So I don't know about you all, my question is this, of let's say the five or six errors they found in the plans, how many of those errors would you want fixed before you crossed over? I'm one saying all of them. I don't know if you have to spend another million dollars or $10 million, whatever. I want all those things fixed. And you know what? That's what Paul says to us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, you, you, you just look at the life of King Saul. He had so much going for him. He heard the voice of God, partial obedience. He disobeyed. He was slow to confess. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, you can learn a lesson from the Old Testament saints. He says, look at those who committed immorality. Look at those who committed idolatry and what happened to them and the consequences they suffered. He says, that should be a lesson for us, a warning for us. Just like the folks on this bridge saying, what happened in Miami is not going to happen here. The tragedy that happened there, Lord willing, is not going to happen here. We're not going to fix some of it. We're going to fix all of it. And here's the good news, y'all. We all partially obey. Can we say amen to that? We all partially obey. But there is a good and gracious and loving God, a forgiving God who's there to welcome you back with open arms. When you say, Lord, I repent. Partial obedience is disobedience. Yes, I may have honored my mom and dad, but I did it with a bad attitude, stanky attitude. Yeah, you know what? I may have obeyed my boss, but you know, I did it with whatever the case may be. And you say, God, I repent. And God says, welcome home, welcome back. God, I want more of you. And I want you to have more of me. God, uh, Paul says very clearly in 1 Corinthians 10 that the Old Testament saints and their disobedience and sometimes partial obedience that was disobedience was a warning for us. So God, I do pray now uh, that we are so grateful that in Jesus Christ, for those of us who put our faith in Jesus, that we are forgiven for all sins, past, present, future. The guilt of sin has been eradicated. But Master, we know that does, does not mean the eradication of the consequences of our sin. So God, I pray right now for each one of us who's placed our faith in Christ. God, I first pray for those who've yet to put their faith in Christ, 
that today be the day that they place their faith in Jesus Christ alone, the Lord Jesus as their Savior, to experience this forgiveness and this right relationship with you. And for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, God, would we confess that we repent of, turn from that partial obedience, the affairs of the mind, the affairs of the heart. God, we can wipe away our browser history, but that doesn't wipe away the consequences, God. God, that we would turn from those things and give ourselves fully to you and confess it, God, as such. God, I pray now, even as we prepare for next week, what a challenge on Family Sunday as we talk about how we can restore relationship with you and with others, God, through confession and forgiveness and asking for forgiveness. God, you prepare our hearts even now for that message, God, as we just lay out some very, very simple biblical principles on restoring relationships with other Christian coworkers, other members of this church, fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, community group members, pastors and members, children, adult children, even parents. So God, we now turn to you again. Would you have more of us? Because God, we want more of you. And we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Hey, I'm going to ask the prayer team to come on up on my left and right. Uh, if there's a prayer need that you have, uh, if there's something that you say, hey, I need prayer for this, I recognize that, man, partial obedience smacked me right between the eyes today. I need someone to pray with me. Secondly, uh, on our app, on our Bayou City Fellowship app, we have a prayer place that you can submit a prayer request. The elders of this church, the leaders we pray on Thursday mornings at 615, and we'd love to pray for you as well. So you can either submit that prayer request or you can come up for prayer at this time.